Now, can you hear me now? Thumbs up. All right. Well, welcome, everybody, as I kind of get unstrapped and unbuckled and everything else. It is an awesome thing to be able to praise and worship and to just lift up the name of God every Sunday, isn't it? I mean, you guys, I love to hear your little voices out there as you sing. It's so great. You guys sound great today, by the way. You can all come back next week. You're hired. Thank you for being here with us this morning. If you're visiting, welcome. We are glad you're here. Um, If you uh, are not visiting, but you're a regular here, we're glad you're here. Please stay. Um, You know, I almost almost didn't even write this sermon uh, because, you know, we had that whole Mayan thing. I really, I wasn't sure if I would need to worry about it. And uh, so, evidently, I, it's a good thing I did, and now, all of us, we have to start paying our bills again. Those of you who stopped, it's time to get back on track. Uh, I started wondering if the Mayan thing was actually true, and then I started thinking to myself, you know, if the Mayan thing was true, if those Mayans were so good at predicting the future, there'd still be Mayans. So, here we are, it's, uh, but we also, you know, we always have doomsday theories, as you can see on the screen behind me. There's always somebody seems like every year running around saying the end is near, you know. And so just in case, I was thinking about this, and as I wrote this, I thought just in case the apocalypse actually does happen, what would be the last thing that I would want to tell somebody? If I knew that this was the last sermon you would ever hear, the last time we would ever get to talk about God, talk about Jesus, talk about eternity, what would we talk about? What could we, what could we spend our time with that would be edifying and, and interesting and, and um, relevant to our lives? You know, we could, we could uh, have a debate on end times theology and eschatology and all those other ologies, we could decide, is, is it going to be a pre-trib rapture? Is it post-trib? Is it mid-trib? Is it pre-raf? Is it half an hour or less or your money back? We don't know. And I think that that would be a waste of our time this morning to debate things like that. And I thought, well, what about, what about God's love? What about his character? What about his mercy and his grace and his power? What about those things? And I thought, you know, those are all good things to talk about too. What about the miracles of God? I thought, that's good. The miracles of God. Because it's, it's a no-brainer. The miracles of God. What does John tell us in uh, John 21 and verse 25? There are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one... I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Guys, if we started writing a book and just wrote down the miracles that Jesus did, if we had been there to see every one of them, the miracles that Jesus did, and we filled up a book, and we started another book, and we filled that up, and we started another, and another, and another, the world itself could not contain the books that would be written about the miracles of Jesus Christ. That's huge. That's huge. And that's just Jesus Christ. That doesn't, he's not talking about God the Father. He's not talking about the Holy Spirit. Just the miracles of Jesus would fill up more books than the world could contain. That would be a great thing to spend our time talking about this morning. The miracles of God. 
We could talk about when he stopped the sun for Joshua. Remember that? Joshua 10:13. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. Now, there are arguments. There are scientists and other sorts of ists and ologists who will debate this. Well, how did the sun stop? Did the sun stop? Did the sun just slow down? What happened to gravity when that happened? How come one side of the world didn't just fry? What, you know, guys, seriously, who cares? The Bible has it in there. The Bible says it happened. That's good enough for me. I believe that. And it should be good enough for all of us. That's a big one. And what about, what about the whole manna from heaven thing? Remember that? The Israelites are wandering through the desert and they're starving. And so they pray. They pray to God, Lord, we're starving here in the desert. We're really glad that you got us out of Egypt, but now we're going to starve to death. What are you going to do about it? And so what does God do? He sends manna from heaven, food hand-delivered by God himself daily, for the sustenance of his people to keep them from starving to death in the desert. And what do they do? They complain, right? They gripe, they moan, they complain about it. Not much has changed in human nature from then until now. God does us a favor. We complain about how it's done. They complain about this hand-delivered manna from heaven. Lord, this is horrible. We're so sick of this manna. We've made manna pancakes. We've made manna steaks. We've made manna cotti. We're just tired of it. Please give us something else. And God did. And they complained about that. How about the scrawny little shepherd boy in 1 Samuel, a kid named David, picking up those five smooth stones and stepping out in faith to take on a giant, a mountain of a man named Goliath. His spear as big as a weaver beam, weaver's beam. How many weavers are in here? None. But I'm telling you, that's big. And that was just what he packed into battle with him. That's amazing. And, and why five smooth stones anyway? Didn't, I mean, this David kid, he had this great faith, right? Stepping out in faith, counting on God to deliver him from this giant named Goliath. Why five stones? We read on, we find out that Goliath had brothers. Four of them. He wasn't worried about God not being able to take down Goliath with one stone. He was counting on God to take down Goliath's whole family with one stone each. But that's not the way it played out. The Philistines turned tail. They took off. They left. And his brothers had to wait to die until 2 Samuel. That's in chapter 21. How about creation itself? This is amazing. Creation itself. Folks, look at everything around us. When you go outside today, look around. You know, look up at the sun. I mean, don't look at the sun. All right. But look at the sun and the moon and the stars. Look at look at the, 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 the sky and the clouds and the mountains. Trust me, I know we're in Indiana, but other places there are these things called mountains. They're like giant mounds of dirt with snow on top. And they're amazing. They're incredible. They're beautiful. Take my word for it. And you look at that and it's. You see the perfection. You see the symmetry that happens in nature. You see this thing called, we call it nature. It's the way they call it the circle of life for you Lion King fans. Okay? 
everything happens exactly how it needs to happen. Everything happens exactly at the right time for other things to happen. Nature's big circle, nature's chain reaction. And we're supposed to think, science would have us believe, that that's all an accident? That all just sort of fell into place. The mathematical odds of that are astronomical, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. Okay? You guys, it's not an accident. It screams grand design. You look at it. You, you, you would call it, we call it nature, it's called incredible, you might even call it miraculous. Right? Another miracle. And then you have man, us, mankind. This, this pinnacle of creation. The point of the whole thing. You guys understand that you're not an accident either? You're not an addition. You're not an addendum to creation itself. Okay? You're the point of it. You, you're the ones chosen by God. God. God didn't say, let there be light, and then sky, and then earth, and then plants and trees, and suns, and moon, and stars, and fish, and birds, and animals, and then look at it all and say, it is good, but it needs one more thing. No, of course not. That's not how it went down. He thought of you first. You are not an addition to this creation. You're the point of it. Chosen by God from before the foundations of the world to be made in his image and have dominion over his creation. Made in his image. Guys, look at the account of creation in the Bible. Everything was spoken into existence by God except us. Man was fashioned lovingly, caringly, fashioned by God's own hands in his own image. All of this, all of this around us, made for you and me, for mankind. Now that that might sound cocky, that might sound arrogant to put ourselves above everything like that, but guys, it's... It only sounds like that if we don't realize who you are in Christ. It only sounds like that if we don't realize our identity in Jesus Christ. You see, God chose you before the foundations of the world. He chose you to be the vessel that would contain all the fullness of the Godhead within you. Think about that. If you are in Christ, then Christ is in you. And if you have the Son, you have the Father also and the Spirit. All the fullness of the Godhead in you. Now, does that sound arrogant then to say that all of creation was designed with you in mind? If you have the Godhead living inside you? Let me me put it to you this way. If you could build a home, a, a house, a domicile, anywhere you wanted, and you had unlimited resources to do it, you could build any kind of home anywhere you wanted, Wouldn't it have a great view? Huh? Wouldn't it have all of these amenities? Wouldn't it have fantastic access of things to do, things to experience, things to see, things to explore? Wouldn't it have just just amazing amenity? Or or wouldn't it have like nearby shopping and, and a fire pole that goes from the bedroom down to the garage? Of course it would. Mine would. What I'm saying, guys, is everything that you would have inside this home, this dwelling, would be exactly, perfectly compatible with you and your needs and your desires. See, God is a God of miracles. 
2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he, God, made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. If you are in Christ Jesus today, you are becoming the righteousness of God. So, is that arrogant? To say that creation was built for the righteousness of God? And you are becoming the righteousness of God. All this for you. All this for me. It's incredible. See, our God is a God of miracles. Always has been, always will be. And, and most of us here today probably realize and understand that the biggest and greatest miracle God ever did was to redeem mankind. See, God had a plan. God had a plan from the beginning. Before the light. Before the planet. Before the birds and the fish and the trees and the animals. God had a plan. God had planned the greatest rescue of all time. And why? Because he knew that mankind would sell him out. He knew that. He knew that we would come along and that we would be tossed around, that we would be swayed by all sorts of crazy talk and crazy ideas whispered in our ear by the world. He knew that, that we would follow everything except the truth. He knew that we would try to go our own way, that we would try to be our own gods. He knew that we would invent other gods made of stone and wood and metal, and that we would worship them. We would always find ways to worship the creation before we worship the creator. He knew that. He knew that we would become soft targets for the first angel, Lucifer. See, he wanted the same thing. He wanted, he wanted to be God. He wasn't satisfied with serving God, with being God's messenger. He wanted to be God. But what, is, what does the Bible tell us? Scripture tells us there's only one true God. There's, all, there's, a, there's only ever been one God. I know of no other, says the Lord. There will only ever be one God. It's like the Highlander, you guys. There can be only one. Okay? It's just like that. Without the special effects, God is the greatest special effect ever. Okay? But that's the thing. There's only one God. And this one God who created the heavens and the earth, the universe, he chose us. Us, these, these tiny little creatures spinning around our tiny little sun on our tiny little planet. And he chose us to adopt, to inherit his creation with Christ. He chose to save us. And don't you think that that just took the lid right off the jar for Satan? Don't you think that that just frustrated him and angered him to no end here he was, the first angel created, the most beautiful thing that, that heaven or earth had ever seen, and God didn't choose him. He was second string. I think that's why he hates you and I so much. That's why we are such targets for Satan. You see, once that happened, once God chose us, I believe that Satan probably decided he was going to take out as many human beings as possible before his time was through. He can't do anything to save, to, to, to really harm us, to touch us necessarily, but he can mess with us, can't he? And he does. 
And he's going to take out as many of us as he can before his time comes to an end. And it it does come to an end. I've read the book. We win. Okay? But, But he's trying to take out as many as he can. And so what would I tell a church if I knew that this was the last time I'd ever get to speak? The last sermon that you would ever hear? What would I tell us? I would tell you that God loves you. He loves you so much that he created all of heaven and earth for you to experience, for you to be in awe of, for you to be filled with wonder when you see it, for you to want to explore it and, and see it and check it all out. You see, and, and as we do that, as we do that, we see, this, we see the beauty of the heavens, we see the beauty of the earth, We see the beauty of God all around us. And just when we think we've reached the end of it, he shows us something new, doesn't he? He calls us even deeper into his creation. See, God is using the entire universe, all of heaven and earth, as a microphone to speak to you, to call your name specifically to himself, to draw you closer and closer to him, and to encourage us to keep going, to keep looking. We're not done yet. You haven't even scratched the surface yet. You've not even begun to see my glory, says God. Keep looking. Keep looking. Keep seeking. Keep following me. Guys, just think in the last several years of advances that we've seen in in science, in astronomy, in geology, archaeology, oceanography. We haven't even begun. We don't even understand our own planet. And we're looking into space and everywhere else. And we're seeing these amazing, incredible things. Don't believe me? Google it. But trust me, we're seeing amazing things all over the world, through the heavens, in the oceans, in the seas. And God, is just keep, he just keeps pulling us deeper and deeper and deeper. Every time we think that we have reached the limit to how far we can go, every time we think we've pushed the envelope as far as we can push it, God tears through the veil and shows us something that makes everything that came before it seem obsolete. Doesn't he? God is just like that iPod that you got for Christmas. All right? You got a brand new iPod, iPad, iWhatever, Guys, guess what? Six months from now, that thing's going to be a brick. Six months from now, you're going to be holding last year's model. God is the universe's biggest iPod. Okay? Every time you think you've figured it out, there's something more. There's something better. Something greater. And if this were the last sermon you'd ever hear, I would tell you that this God, this same God who you and I will never, ever, ever fully understand until we are standing in front of him in eternity, this same God knows you. Not just knows you, but knows everything about you. Everything about you. How many hairs are on your head? For me, that's easy math. He knows everything about you. And not just the good stuff. Sorry to say, guys. He knows the bad stuff, too. The stuff that you wouldn't put on your spiritual resume. He already knows it. He knows that you doubt him. He knows that you have turned from him in your life. He knows that you ignore him. He knows all about your lusts and your moral failures. He knows you cheated on your taxes. He knows you cheated on your math test. He knows that. And, and to, to really blow your mind and make it even worse for you guys this morning, you're welcome. He has always known that. He knew that before you were born. 
He knew that before this earth was born, before time was time, he knew exactly how screwed up you and I were going to be, how messed around we were going to be. Now, let's think about this from a human perspective for a second. If you or I knew, if we could look into the future, and we knew that a project that we were about to start was going to fail, it was going to break down and fail miserably, that it had no chance of success. If you or I knew that, barring the possibility that we might work for the federal government and just keep throwing money at it until it goes away, if we knew that this project was going to fail, wouldn't we scrap the project most likely? Try something else. Go a different way. Take a different road. If, if God is so wise... Why did he even bother? Why did he even begin this project called humanity, knowing that it was going to fail? You know? Why? Because like I said, God had a plan. God had a plan. He knew that we would be slaves to our sin. He knew that the punishment for that sin was death. He knew that each of us would be found guilty And he knew that the sentence of death would have to be carried out. See, it's easy for us as humans, flawed as we are, it's easy for us to sort of overlook the punishment for that sin. Okay? It's easy for me as a parent to get lazy. Parents, you might know what I'm talking about. You guys probably don't. You guys are awesome. But, you know, out there in the world somewhere, there's probably some parents who, rather than... Uh, bringing the hammer down on your kids you've given this well you know it's the first time that that they've done this and so you know don't let me catch you doing it again how many of you guys have ever said or had that said to you as a parent or by your parents don't let me catch you doing that again i've had that said to me more than once okay and my response to that i didn't say this but my response to don't let me catch you doing that again sounds good to me I'm a little embarrassed you caught me doing it this time. You know? It's easy for us to get lazy as parents, but we're not perfect. See, we can overlook things like that. God is perfect. God cannot and will not overlook that. If God were not perfect, he wouldn't be God. He certainly wouldn't be a God that I'd want to follow. But he is perfect. And because of that perfection... His justice must also be perfect. You see? And if justice is meted out perfectly, and we are all guilty because none of us can keep God's laws. That's why they're there, to show us that we can't. We are all guilty. The penalty is death. The penalty is eternal separation from God. The penalty is hopelessness forever and ever and ever. That's a lot of evers, okay? But God had a plan. God had a plan. God stepped into history as a tiny baby, a tiny little child born in the lowest of places, born to the humblest of people, two peasants. And, and their lineage included Jews and Gentiles and priests and kings and murderers and adulterers and prostitutes. Sound like the Savior of the world? And they named him Jesus 
Jesus is the Greek form of the word Yeshua. And Yeshua is a shortened version of the word Yehoshua. Yehoshua means God is salvation. God is salvation. Not God brings salvation. Not God offers salvation. God is salvation. See, God had a plan because God is the plan. He is the plan. Always was. We have all sinned. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see? And God knew that. He knew it from the start. From before the start. And the beautiful part of it. The miraculous, amazing, beautiful part of the story is that God himself is our salvation. That's the miracle of God. That God is salvation in the person of Jesus Christ. See, he stepped into time, Jesus did. And, and he didn't live as God in some sort of human body, okay? Let me explain. It wasn't like God was wearing a wetsuit with a zipper up the back of it or something. It, it wasn't like that. It wasn't God in a human suit. Jesus Christ was a human being. 100% human being, flesh and blood. Susceptible to all of the same things that we are. Sickness and disease, pain, pleasure, all of the emotions that we experience, Jesus experienced all of it too. As a human being. And because of that, because he lived as a human being of flesh and blood, and, be, and he was perfect. You see? And so Jesus became, on behalf of an entire human race, an entire fallen human race, Jesus became a sin offering to God the Father. And that sin offering, as it was offered up, the Father's perfect justice, the full cup of God's wrath, intended for those who had broken his laws. Guys, that means us, you and I. That cup of wrath was poured out on his son, his one and only perfect begotten son. And then what happened? To prove that that sacrifice was acceptable, Josh talked about this with us a couple of weeks ago. To prove that that sacrifice was acceptable, Jesus, three days later, rose again from the grave. Proving that he was exactly who he had said he was. The Son of God. The Holy Lamb. Slain from before the foundation of the world. And that death could not hold him. That's the great part of it. That's the best part. This is the part that gets me excited. Death could not hold Jesus in the grave. Alright? Now, let's get into the really fun part of this. Because death could not hold Jesus in the grave, it had no hold over him, had no power over him. If you are in Christ this morning, then Christ is in you. The same Jesus who rose from the grave, the same Jesus who death had no hold on, who death had no power over, lives in you. And because of that, the same Jesus will rise again in you. And because of that, you are just as immune from death as Jesus Christ himself. Death has no hold on us if we are in Jesus Christ. It's awfully quiet in here. That's good news, guys. That's good news. Death cannot hold you in the grave. Because Jesus is all that we can never be on our own. 
Because Jesus is all that we can't be. God separates us from our sin as far as the east is from the west. As far as the east is from the west, how far is that exactly? Anybody? It's pretty far, right? Aren't you glad it didn't say as far as north is from south? Huh? Think about it. If I walk due north indefinitely and hold that line forever, Boy Scouts, what happens? Eventually, I hit the North Pole, don't I? I hit the North Pole, I high-five Santa's helpers, and now I'm going south. Right? You're going south eventually. But if I go east and stay on that line forever, I'm going east. doesn't matter how long I walk. I'm going east. If I go west, I continue on that line. I'm going west. I never intersect east. No matter where you are, east is always going to be east, and west is always going to be west. You see, it's no accident, it's no coincidence that God says through Psalm 103 and verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He has removed our transgressions from us. Guys, more good news. Transgressions removed. All of my transgressions off of me. Taken off of me. No longer mine to carry. No longer yours to carry. Stop trying to carry your transgressions around with you guys. If you want to travel well, travel light. Lay them at the feet of Jesus. Give them up and stop trying to pack around your transgressions. They're not yours anymore. We have laid those chains down. We have laid that yoke down and taken the yoke of Jesus Christ upon ourselves. And his burden's light. His yoke is easy. Removed our transgressions. Not just colored over, not just hidden. Actually removed. Now, and, and then God chooses to remember them no more. How does that work? Once again, we find God, what, is he senile? He can't remember our sin? He can't remember our transgression? Of course not. That's not what I said. He chooses to remember them no more. It's a choice that he makes. Let me explain this this way. Um, Gentlemen, if you sin, for lack of a better word, against your wife, let's say you forget to take out the, uh, the recycling or the trash on garbage day, or you uh, forget and leave the, the car keys in your coat pocket and hang it in the closet, and then she gets up to take the kids to school the next morning and she can't find the car keys anywhere. Okay, I'm just making these up. I've never actually done these. <laughs> Heidi, stop laughing. Let's say you do that, right? She could, your wife could, if she wanted to, hold that over your head and hold you accountable for that as long as she wants, forever, if she wants to. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Don't raise your hand. Okay? But your wife can, and thankfully does, choose to not remember those things. She chooses to see the good things in you. And in my case, that's a really, really fortunate thing. I mean, there may be some stuff, some things that you did back in 1998 that wasn't too cool, and that may get brought up from time to time. But see, your wife's not perfect any more than you are, any more than I am. But God is perfect. God can choose to forget 
all of your transgressions, even the ones from the 90s. Okay? Because, because, of, the, because of the sacrifice of Christ, when God looks at us, when he looks at you, all he sees is that sacrifice, that perfect sacrifice. All he remembers is that there has been an offering made for that sin, and it has been accepted. So there is no more sin. You have been washed clean of all the stuff, all the transgressions, all the sin that would otherwise separate you from God, that would condemn you to an eternity of hopelessness without ever seeing the Lord God again, without ever seeing Him, ever experiencing His love. Why does He do that? Why in heaven and earth would He do that? The simplest and best way that I've heard it put is found in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Right here. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Not willing. God is unwilling to do without you. Does that make sense? Let me say it again. God is unwilling to experience heaven, to experience eternity without you. He wants you there with him. He wants us to come to repentance and, and, and by and through that repentance to take him into ourselves, to experience life through him, to experience him in every part of life. God wants that. God is giving you, giving me, giving us every chance, every opportunity to repent, to turn toward Him. Repentance is not a one-time experience, guys. It's not, I said a prayer, I said I was sorry, and I keep on trucking. It's day by day, hour by hour, sometimes minute to minute. It's a lifestyle change. You turn away from the stuff that pulled you in the wrong direction and you start moving in the right direction toward Christ. Okay? We turn from sin and instead we trust in His grace. We trust in His mercy and His goodness. That's repentance. I I thought I could do it on my own and now I realize that I can't. And the great thing is I don't have to. And I shouldn't try. And I can accept that as a new reality for myself. And when you do that, guys, when you do that, all of heaven rejoices. You've got to recenter your life. Imagine, imagine this stage is like a giant record. Okay? And here I am, and this is the center, this is the middle of it, and I'm over here. I'm off center. The record is spinning around. What happens if you move away from the center? You get pulled even further off, don't you? The closer you get to the edge of the record, the greater the pull against you. Jesus is our center. I'm over here thinking, hey, I'm the center. I'm the center of the universe. I am the center of what's important. I have what's called lead singer's disease. How many lead singers does it take to screw in a light bulb? Just one. They just hold it up and let the world revolve around them. That's how it works. I'm the center of my world. 
And so I can walk around, I can do whatever I want, but I am constantly being pulled in another direction. I am constantly fighting against the force that is trying to pull me off and away. Now, once I recenter, once I realize that, oh, my gosh, the center's over here. Here's Jesus Christ. Once I move to the center, life gets easier, doesn't it? No more forces pulling away. Now, here's, here, here's the other thing. I don't want to leave this, this sort of funky illustration here. But as you, as you walk closer, it's hard at first, isn't it? It's hard at first. When you make that decision, I'm going to start moving away from sin toward the sinner that is Jesus Christ. I'm going to start, and it's hard, and it's a tough pull. And, but the closer you get, the closer you get to him, the easier it becomes, doesn't it? Because he does more and more of the work for us. And as we draw, our, as we draw near to him, he draws near to us, and it becomes, he holds us in that center. And what can separate us from the love of God? What can take us from his hands? Nothing. Nothing in heaven or earth can take you and steal you away from the love of God. You have re-centered your life with Jesus as the center and now you are in him and he is in you. And now all of heaven is rejoicing because one more person, one more soul has been saved and one more person has come to realize that Satan is a liar. One more person, and every one, every one causes heaven to rejoice for you, for us, for mankind. One more person has realized that God is love. God is love. And what does the Bible tell us about love? You guys all know this one. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. My favorite part of it, verse 8, love never fails. You want to know the character of God? God is love. What is the character of love? And so if this is the last sermon that you ever hear, then hear this. God is love. And his love for you, because he is eternal, his love is eternal. It has always been there, and it will continue to be there forever. And God's love is relentless. It will continue to pursue you, continue to pull you, continue to draw you to itself for eternity. If you put your trust, your faith, your hope in God, he will never fail you. He will never leave you or forsake you. And he will see that you spend eternity with him in perfect love and in perfect peace. God is your salvation. And all you have to do is reach to him and let him begin to work in your life. And he says, you will be saved. I'll have the rest of the band come on up at this, at this point and let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. 
for your love and your mercy. And God, I just pray that we would always see you in the world around us. That we would keep our spiritual eyes wide open. That we would find you in the world. That we would find you in our circumstances. And that we would seek you in our difficulties. Lord, give us the grace to walk in repentance. God, to seek your will in our lives, to seek to reflect your image, Lord, to this world around us. For all that you are, God, and all that you enable us to be, we are in awe of you. We give you our thanks. We give you our worship. And we pray this morning that you would just continue to work in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. We stand for one last song. As we praise God this morning, we give Him all that we are, give Him all that we have this morning. We turn ourselves to Him and place our hope and our trust in Him today and thank Him for all that He is. Let's lift Him up.